Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Did you guys feel betrayed? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Joe? My initial reaction was shock. Do you feel the same, Nick? We stepped into this potential relaunch of the brothers with a lot of hesitations on, on all fronts. Kevin? Yes, it's the three of us, but each one of us now, you know, with our wives. With our somebody kids, to share it with. Yeah, yeah is, mean, is amazing. I don't know how old you are, but I'll bet you remember the Jonas Brothers. I'll bet you were crazy for their music, and I'll bet you were brokenhearted when they broke up and really wondered why. Well, you know what? When they decided to get back together, I sat down and did the first in-depth interview with these three guys. And there were no holes barred, and they got really real. These guys are fun, let me tell you. And they answered every question and held nothing back. You're going to get to see these boys up close and personal right when they're getting ready to start their new tour. So if you want to know what really makes Joe, Nick, and Kevin tick, listen up, because you're getting ready to hear it. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. First off, what's happening with you guys now? Who's doing what? What's y'all's relationship with each other? What's going on? Tell me about the Jonas Brothers today. Go ahead, Joe. Well, it's a loaded question. Yeah, it's meant to be. For myself... I'm engaged, making music in the band DNCE. Been touring with them for the last two and a half, three years. And have the best relationship with my brothers that I've ever had. The last year, who's been shooting this documentary and <laughs> through it, having therapy sessions without really trying to and working through some of the stuff that we put under the carpet for six years and kind of just moved on. The brother thing where you can look at each other and say, you know what, I can't stand you right now, but I love you. And so you find ways to look past it. So that's my catch up. <laughs> and you're engaged to who? Sophie Turner. Yeah, I know this. But yeah, so your biggest fan? And I'm a fan of hers, <laughs> man, let me tell you. Yeah, she's um, incredible and a phenomenal actress, but more than that, a great person and inspires me to do what I love. How long have you guys been together as a couple? It's coming up probably, this year will be three years. How'd you meet? Instagram. Really? <laughs> yeah. We had two friends who tried to introduce us that I think take credit for us meeting. But the reality is that I took matters in my own hands and I, as the kids say, slid into her DMs. And, and right into her heart. Right into her heart. 
Yeah, so then we went back and very forth for about a month. Of you. Yeah, very electronic, very millennial. And then a month later, we met in London, and it was just it was on. We knew it was something unique, and it was kind of in a season where we both were really busy. <laughs> so we were dating, or kind of around tour schedules, her film schedule, and cut to here we are, two and a half years later. So you approached her on Instagram. Yeah. All right, I got to know. Don't tell me you don't know because I know you do. What was the first Instagram message you sent? So bad. Like, <laughs> terrible. My game was so bad, but she took the bait. So I think technically it worked. Apparently it worked. I realized that she followed me. So I got excited. And I'm a huge fan of the show. Like everyone is. Her character specifically, I was like, okay, if she ever follows me, I'm going to have to do something about this. She liked a photo of mine. So I commented on one of her photos and it was a closed down burger place. And my comment was something along the lines of, oh, what a tragedy. No burger place should ever be closed. Nailed it. Solid. (laughs) (laughs) Who could resist that? I mean, just straight game. Maybe it just diffused her to the point where she's like, maybe she's non-threatening. She makes jokes about it, but I'm like. That's it. She had to feel sorry (laughs) She She took the sympathy vote. Yeah. Look at that. We met the creator of Instagram years later, and we thought it'd be really impressive to tell him that we met on Instagram. And so we were waiting to meet him. Finally, we met him. We're like, we actually, uh, we wanted you to know we met on Instagram. We're, we're engaged now. And he was so unfazed by it because he probably hears it all the time yeah. now. He was like, oh, great. <laughs> like, this is the new dating app. So how did she respond? She responded really well. <laughs> Look, all the women out there want me to ask this question, so I'm asking it. I mean, I don't want to get home. My wife jumped my because I didn't ask this question. Yeah. Respond to the message? Yeah. I think she just sent an emoji back. I can probably find it in, deep in messages, but that's um, all she sent? I don't remember, actually. I have to ask her, but I think we went back and forth for about a month before we finally met, and it was just casual, but we finally decided, let's get together and see if there's a connection. People love to know that, because that's just like normal people. I mean, you just see somebody, and you reach out to yeah. them, and they hit you back, and then back and forth you go, and then here you are. I feel like a lot of people, for me, I'm 29, People around my age always get a little embarrassed to say that they met somebody on Instagram or online, but that's the way it is now. Of course. People are able to take matters in their own hands. Yeah, it's much more efficient, no doubt about it. So when's the wedding date? In this summer, actually, in France. Oh, okay. It's kind of mutual ground for us, and we both have spent a lot of time in France together. And yeah. so we and were It's also there. amazing. It also happens to be the most <laughs> romantic, one of the most romantic places in the world. Right. It's going to be a really beautiful wedding. Kevin, you're the oldest. Yes, sir. And you're next, Joe. Mm-hmm. And then you're the youngest, right? Of this group. We got one other Yeah, brother. you got an yeah. 18-year-old, right? Right. He's not here, but of the ones here, Nick, you're the youngest. Do they pick on you? No, they pick on me. They pick on you? Yeah. They gang up on the oldest? Uh-huh. Yeah, we've it's done It's always that. been that way. Why? Uh, you ask them. I don't know. Two I'm not to sure one? either. No, it's just one of those dynamics. Joe, what's your take? I think this year we realized we picked on him a little bit too much, maybe, back in the day. You know what it was? I let it affect me. Go ahead, Kevin. I actually wouldn't just play along. It actually, like, got in my head, and I think then they realized, oh, this is working, so they kept going. Like, you poke the bear and he jumps so that they get a reaction and Yeah, I think so. I've really come around to the fact that I'm okay with being a little bit of a joke as long as I know it's a joke. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm writing that down. (laughs) We'll come back to that. So how do you guys get along now? You say, Joe, you guys get along well. Do you feel the same, Nick? I mean, I think it's been probably the most important year of our lives as far as our relationship goes. We stepped into this potential relaunch of the brothers 
with a lot of hesitations on, on all fronts. And one of the things that was most challenging to navigate was the fact that, you know, I'd called an end to the group, which was painful for all of us. And specifically to Kevin and Joe, I think a huge surprise. So when things came back around, you know, some six, seven years later after I'd had a solo career and success on my own and Joden had success with DNCE and Kevin was success with being a father and businessman, you know, for me to come back and say, I want to do this again, presented some challenges because it kind of felt like I didn't deserve to get to say that given that I'd called quits to this thing prior. So what we realized in all of it is that we had to start further back and heal some of the wounds that we actually left from the time we were working together. Not the breakup itself necessarily. That, right. that was a piece of the puzzle. But I think that the biggest thing was, well, let's get into our childhood. Let's get into some of the pressures we felt but maybe didn't address with each other. And just general dishonesty about what we wanted to accomplish. And that was everything from a career standpoint to emotional clarity and peace. And it's been a crazy year. But right now, I think we have the best relationship we've ever had. We have the ability to be honest in a way we never had before and a care and trust in each other that I don't think was there before. I'm really curious about this because when you guys started, your dad was the pastor of a church, yeah, right. very conservative church. Yeah. When you started doing your music, it wasn't gospel music. It wasn't Christian music, right? And that didn't sit well with the congregation, with the church board, the deacons, or whoever was in power at the church. Do you agree, Nick? Yeah, I think that, you know, there's an expectation a lot of times when you are so ingrained in a church environment, as we were as the first family of the church, in a sense, that, you know, if you're going to be making music, if you're going to be preaching, you preach to the choir. And for us, we had a different vision. Our music was crossover in that it could be about God or it could be about a girl, you know. And Why as we long? got older and started writing more and, and kind of tapping into our interests, it wasn't limited to our relationship with God. It was about uh, everything around us. And we were young men growing up excited about girls and love and romance and also felt like, you know, we think this thing can really explode. Like We believed that we could become a force in the music industry and didn't want to be limited to just Christian music. It's odd for three brothers to all want the same thing at the same time. You were all young, obviously. Right. Did you all three want the same thing at the same time when you started? Joe, I'll start with you. Kind of started with Nick. I mean, he was doing musical theater and Broadway shows when he was really young. And then that translated into making his own music. And one day, me... Nick and Kevin, we sat down and wrote Please Be Mine. A song, Please Be Mine, together. Not even in mind that it would become a group. It kind of just fell into place. We wrote this song, and somebody at the record label, David Massey, who signed Nick, heard there was two other brothers, and this guy happened to work with brother bands like Oasis. Oasis and Good Charlotte. So he was obviously familiar with how, how this works, and we went in there and sang for him and it kind of just happened naturally. But me and Kevin, we wanted to be in bands. Mm -hmm. We were thinking about doing something, even just me and him. We were really into the idea. So it definitely happened at a similar time. So you all wanted it. It wasn't like you had to drag one. One guy wanted to go do science lab work or play football or something. You all three wanted to do music at the same time. And I your believe parents we did. were okay with it. Go ahead, Nick. Our parents were really supportive, actually. Our father, I think, never pushed us in any way, but was, I think, more willing than a lot of parents would be to say, yeah, 
and education is important, but if this is what you want to do, you have my full support. We never had that battle of our parents saying, you have to do this, you have to fall into the family right. business, you have to go into right. ministry, you have to go to college. They were fully supportive. And I think that gave us the freedom to dive all the way in. Kevin? They were honest to it as well. Like at a certain point when things started to go, he's like, we can continue this, but we have this money set aside for your college. It's going to be used for this, or you can stop and go to college in that traditional sense. So they were honest with us about that. And we were just like, yeah, we're going to keep doing the music thing. There was a point when, and correct me if I'm characterizing this wrong, but there was a point where there was a break with the church where it kind of came down to you either as the pastor are all in with the church or you're going to do this secular music. Right. So there was a break. He lost his job. Yeah. He lost his church. He lost his yeah. congregation. He lost the parsonage. He lost everything. Joe, how do you feel about that? Things kind of all happened bad for us as a family at the same time. The record label that we were a part of, Columbia Records, dropped us as a band. Mm -hmm. Our dad lost his job. And this all happened probably in the same three, four months. People at the church were petitioning to get our dad to leave or be fired. And these rumors were starting to kind of swirl that he maybe was taking money from the church. And more so, the biggest issue for them, I think, was the fact that he was putting his attention on his family over the church. And it really made this divide happen between us. Nick, you look like you wanted to weigh in. The thing to understand, too, is in a church setting, you know, it's not as simple as just losing a job, which is already a horrible thing. Right. It's highly embarrassing. And when there's untrue scandal attached to it, I think it, it adds another layer of complications and right. relationships, you know, pastor and his wife and family really minister to the church. And that means everything from taking the phone call at 4 a.m. to show up and be there after a terrible thing's happened. It's bedside manner, but all the time and showing that love and care. So to have some of these people then turn their back was really painful for our parents and for us. And, and for us, because we had like friends. That was our friends growing up, right? right. Um, we spent more time at the church than school when we were growing up. So once we all left, so did our childhood friends with that. So trying to understand restart. that in a world where we were young is very complicated. As you mentioned, the parsonage is the home that the church owns. So we lived in that house and we moved into a home that one of the members of a church who was still a good friend of ours let us live in a house that they own for very little rent. But, you know, that was, was a challenging moment because there was about seven of us, the six in our family and our uncle, living in a two-bedroom home, kind of all on top of each other and working through some of this pain of a church. And at that point is when we started writing music for what would become our first successful album. And I think it was out of that struggle that really opened up that lane. As kids, were you fully aware of what was happening at the time? Were you fully aware that there was a break happening with the yeah. church, that they were turning? Go ahead, Kevin. I, I was for sure because you were I, older. I was older and I had friends, you know, even in the high school that I was attending at the time that attended our church. And they'd be like, so I heard this and I heard that. And are you guys leaving? And it was always like, we have to be careful at the time about MySpace, right? I remember one of the big things, which was really funny. My father was almost getting in trouble for the fact that we had a social media page right? Where these people could comment and girls could say whatever they want. And that was a problem. And he said to the board and other people, like every church in America will have social media within the next two to three years. Never gonna happen. <laughs> you know? So obviously that's not the case. But the reality of the fact is, is I saw it firsthand. I saw a lot of the pain for my mom and dad in that. Did you guys know it as well? 
Nick? Yeah, I was also going through a pretty intense thing at that time. I'd just been newly diagnosed with type 1 diabetes right. and was working through all that. So I think it's weird to say this, but it was a bit of a godsend. You know, this terribly traumatic thing happens to our family. And at the same time, I'm relearning how to, to do simple things like eat and manage a new disease. So I was a bit distracted. But I recall nights where there was a lot of tension within the family and fighting and moments I think I could hear my father crying and knowing what it was doing to him. And he put so much of his heart into this and mm -hmm. into these people. And he was so good. He was really good. His, he was, as a speaker, he, he was so good. Speaker and a singer. He's yeah. amazing on the stage and really brought it. So yeah, it was painful. But I think, you know, the thing that was interesting was we all needed to get some clarity on what faith and religion and all of that meant to us after this had happened. And I think, you know, it really defined who we became as faith-based people or not and what our value system was. Well, I have this theory. I think it's fact, but I call it theory. That when things go wrong in a family, children have this unique ability to figure out how everything is their fault. <laughs> they look yeah. at it and it's <laughs> like if maybe the family's having financial trouble and that trouble might be really of a great magnitude, like they're losing a half million dollar house or something. A child will go back in their room and say, if I didn't need a pair of tennis shoes, then we wouldn't be in financial trouble. Right. So they take it on themselves. They blame themselves and feel guilty for it. And if the marriage is breaking up, they say, if I was a better kid, maybe my parents wouldn't be fighting. They have a way of making it their fault. And now here, you guys are doing music. Your father is supporting that. And his entire life's work his church, his congregation, everybody is turning against him because of you and what you're doing. Did you take that on? What did you say to yourself about it? Go ahead, Joe. I think well, this year we kind of all realized how much we would take on the thought that everything would go away and it would be our fault, like success and music because of the church and all of that that we loved so much and even Columbia Records and happened when we were young. And when it was stripped from us up until last year, we would maybe not enjoy things to the fullest because we always felt like this could just slip from our fingers. The other shoe's gonna drop. Yeah. Kevin, you wanna say something? Yeah, I just feel like it was always that any wrong move could be the end of the entire thing. And I think a lot of that carried through from kind of being that, like Nick said, first family in the church, mm -hmm. where that pressure that we felt there carried to how we, continue to do music going forward and the decisions we made and kind of a live in fear kind of mentality. Did you talk about it among yourselves at the time? Because I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. Here you are. You guys are working on this music. You get signed. Your father and mother are supporting you unconditionally. I mean, 100%. But then he loses his job, his church, his identity in that regard. And then the record label drops you. So he's made all this sacrifice for nothing. Right. He did all that. Then they drop you. So now you've got no job, no church, no home, no record deal. Now you're just these kids standing there, and he bet on this, and it all evaporated. Did you feel like you let him down? Nick, how do you feel about that? I often think about that period of our lives and where my head was at. I think we had blind faith in our ability to make this happen. I, 
think about how many things should have prevented the Jonas Brothers from being successful, the church being a, a humongous factor. And the fact that we were, you know, $150,000, $200,000 in debt trying to self-finance the band, and the fact that we were kids, right? There's always things kind of stacked up against us. And I think we defied the odds when it did work because it really should not have. And at the center of that, I think it was the fact that our parents did an excellent job of keeping the weight of all of this away from us. I've got incredible admiration for the, both of them because in the moment it was tough. And when you hear your mom and your dad fighting and you know there's real tension, uh, you can't help but, like you said, feel like it's your fault or there's a factor of being your fault. But I think if I find myself in a similar position one day with my wife with real challenges, the cards stacked up against us and we've got kids, if I could be half the parent my parents were in that moment, I would be grateful because they did a really good job. Did this scar your parents, your dad in particular, did this take a big toll on him? Yeah. Because he I mean, did have to carry the weight. I know as a father, you wake up every day, you're responsible for your wife and your kids and yeah. feeding them and protecting them and housing them and all of that. That's a lot of pressure real. on him. Yeah. Do you ever think about what he had to go through at that time? Definitely. How much pressure and burden it was on him and what toll it may have taken on him? Joe? Yeah, and I think also every time he looks at us, he would have to either say it black or white or sometimes keep some things from us because we were going out to play concerts or we would be in a road trip <laughs> to go play one show somewhere. And just that alone, I think, is a very scary thing. And I think as the older we get, and I'm sure for, I don't want to speak for you, but yeah. Kevin now being a father, that has come to our minds quite a yeah. bit more. And the more time we spend with him, you realize those years were so important for us as a band, but were very heavy on the family. Yeah. I think it shook him for sure. I have another theory. Yeah. I always tell people, and I've lost my dad, and so I lived through this, but I always tell people, don't ever let the sun set another time without saying and doing with the people you love everything you need to say and do because you don't know if they're going to be there tomorrow. Mm -hmm. yeah. You don't know if you're going to be there tomorrow. You don't know if they're going to be there tomorrow. And if you put off till tomorrow what you need to say and do, and then they're gone, then you don't have the chance to say it. Right. right. Have you guys said to your parents what it meant to you to have stood by you and believed in you and made those sacrifices for you? Do they know how much that meant to shaping you as young men? Go ahead, Kevin. It was interesting that you say it because I was with my parents when we had our second daughter, Valentina, and they were both there. And it's incredible to think of the moment, especially the first time with Alina, your parents are now becoming grandparents and it's exciting and different and new and you're becoming a parent. And I had a challenge with that at first, really understanding the balance of like where I now fit in. The day before my responsibility was my wife and hers was me essentially, you know, in that relationship. Now her focus is now on this child and so is mine, but where do I fit into that new mm -hmm. environment? And I think learning how to figure that out was a challenge. And I actually dove into work a little bit instead of being in that moment. 
And I finally broke down one night with her and I'm just like, I just don't know who I am anymore. And I talked to my dad about it and he actually said to me, that's how I felt when you guys started to take off and I was no longer you know, the pastor of the church and other things. I was watching something that was bigger than what my vision could become for you. And in an exciting way. And that proud moment of this is more than I could have ever thought. I said it to him in that moment. I said, the fact that we're able as a family to actually have gone through the things we've gone through and sit here together as you hold your new granddaughter is a testament to how you raised us. I thanked him in that moment for that because there's probably a million times where that moment doesn't happen for families. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really a blessing. And that was the same when the guys were with the girls, you know, and for the first time. And it was hard. It was a challenge. You know, Alina, our first was born four months after the band broke up. And I hadn't really seen them since then. So that one moment was, this is now my life. And as much as we had a big transition from financial to just who you are as a people, I had a life altering experience, which is having a kid. And it took me time to figure out who I wanted to be. And I think it was this year with some of the letting go of the moments that we had together and also just realizing who I wanted to be as a dad as well to figure out what happiness is again. Mm -hmm. Joe, how do you feel about that? For me, this year, I mean, our dad also, as much as he's gone through, you can't imagine going through anything else, but he beat cancer this last year. Mm -hmm. And he opened a restaurant in the same few months of finding out that he had cancer. So the restaurant business is like buying a boat. It's a pretty scary, bad idea, but (laughs) he opened up a beautiful restaurant in his hometown and employed all his family and friends from childhood. And for us, that's kind of become a nice escape. We fly down there and we see them every few months and spend time with them. But I think he couldn't be more proud. And I think what he says in the doc is probably the thing that hurt him so much was seeing us ever have issues with each other when the band broke up. But the healthy relationship that we have now, he's like, that's the most important thing. And our dad was a co-manager with Philly Mac. And he was very good at, you get manager, you get dad, and you get friend when you need that. And he knows how to put those hats on. I don't think I've said thank you enough as many times as I have to him and our mom because of the way they raised us. The question's always interesting that we get is like, how did we kind of turn out pretty normal after living through such craziness? There's no other example that we can point to to say, these guys turned out okay. A lot of the time it's a little bit the opposite. But I think it's definitely our parents. And I would say brothers is unique. It's something that siblings in general, Mm -hmm. you have each other to slap each other around when you need it and you can be the first person to say screw you and just keep moving (laughs) and everything's fine again so it's interesting there's like a few things to point to why we're okay still (laughs) i'm not trying to be morbid but if you were to lose your parents would there be anything left unsaid and if there is you should just say it that's all i'm saying you should just put it on your to-do list and say i'm going to say that 
And I thought I had said everything that needed to be said when I lost my dad because he knew he was dying. Mm -hmm. He went to the doctor one day. His heart was failing. And I was there when he got home. And I said, how'd it go? And he said, well, let's put it this way. Don't buy me any green bananas. (laughs) And that was his way of joking around saying, you know, I ain't got long for this world. So I had the chance to tell him everything I needed to say, some good and some bad. Yeah, right. Because he was a bad alcoholic, and there was a lot of baggage. And you think you got it all said until it's over, and then you go, oh, wait a minute, do over. I need more. So I always tell people, particularly when someone has sacrificed as much as your parents have, just write them a letter, tell them in person. Be sure they know, because it'll give you a peace once you know you've said what you need to say. Because you have pretty amazing parents. Yeah. Yeah. These are special people. They are. I've listened to your dad talk and your mom as well, and they're pretty amazing people. They are, indeed. And they should know that. I mean, you should just tell them that. And I'm sure you have along the way, but just tuck that away, think about it. No, thank you. How did your dad take it when you guys broke up? Because I remember him saying, you thought they expected this and saw it coming, and he said, they did not. That was his quote. (laughs) They did not. Again, he's made all these sacrifices, put everything on the line, and then you say, well, I'm not going to do it anymore. Nick? Weirdly, I spoke to him about it before it happened, you know, before I talked to the guys, because I was having a pretty tough time. I don't know if it was a panic attack, but it felt like that. And the way people describe that, I couldn't breathe. I was highly emotional, which is unusual for me. It was just a lot. So I, I called him up, and the night before, we drove around, and talked through it a bit and I told him then you know I, I thought they were they could see it coming they would expect this day would come someday which I was wrong about so I think in the room when things went down and he started to be a father and a comforter to Joe and Kevin who were spinning out about this I felt abandoned in that moment by him we've spoken about this and kind of cleared it up but it, it's a crazy thought and to answer the question before this which I didn't have a chance to. I spoke to my mom and my dad specifically about this moment in my life with him where I really felt like he'd forgotten about me. And I just said, I can't imagine the weight that each decision you make as a parent carries. And I just hope that you know the people that we've become make you proud and know that it's a reflection of who you are and the way that you raised us. And it was a beautiful moment for us and a way for us to acknowledge all they'd done and also say, I want to try to be as good as you were to us to my kids someday and you know in that moment i think with our father it was challenging because he didn't know where he would fit in into the equation once we split up and for me that meant telling him as transparent as saying dad you know when i'm going to mtv with a music video which is me in in a more sort of seductive provocative way with a song that touches on sexuality and things that are adult themes it's not right to have my father in the room with me it's going to be a tough sell. And he understood, but it was, it was hard for him. And I just said, and I feel like I need my dad at this season of my life. And so in addition to this conversation, I had that conversation. And it was a couple months that were really challenging and rebuilding that relationship while feeling isolated from them. My sort of pillars to lean on in moments of trouble were all wobbly. Yeah. And Phil, our manager now, was a constant. And then once these relationships were repaired, the next step was my father. And we worked through that and had some really good time to build new guidelines for our relationship. Really like starting over and prioritizing health at the forefront of all of it. 
Why did you do it? Why did I? Why did you stop Jonas Brothers? Why did you call that meeting, go in and say, Jonas Brothers is no more? It was a few things. I think it was a frustration with lack of evolution within the group. I think creatively we were sort of stalled, probably because our emotional relationship was stalled. And we were just hitting a lot of walls. And during that same time, I was feeling like there was this music within me, this creative voice within me that I, I felt really needed to be heard. And it was different from what we were doing. And I felt, you know, we've been really honest with each other in this last year, so I can say this, but frustrations with each other and where our priorities were mm-hmm. and, and insecurities that were louder than uh, our voices on stage. It was really challenging. And I became kind of numb at a certain point and the only way to get to the place I wanted to get to, which was the the freedom to share my music, to share my story, and also branch out into acting and other things, was to just rip that band-aid. And I, I fully did not expect it to be as emotional reaction as it was, which then made me question if I'd made the right choice. But, you know, I sort of dove right into the water instead of tipping my toe in there first and seeing what the temperature was. I just <laughs> dove in and I'd chalk it up to immaturity and a lack of emotional maturity to, to understand that we've all put so much into this. This was our foundation for our lives and our livelihood. Our identity was tied to it. For me to selfishly assume that they would just get that is really naive. So were you just not being empathetic with them or are you saying you shouldn't have done it or you should have done it a different way? Should have done it a different way. I knew it was the right thing. It needed to, to happen. That's the funny part. Like, it definitely needed to. And I recently thanked Nick. I was like, you're the one that had the balls to do it. You know? Um, I wish it happened differently, but it was time. One of the biggest insecurities in my life is that I feel like at different points, I've tied a lie to my identity, which I know to be a lie. And that is that I can be cold and sort of shut off emotionally. And in this chapter of my life specifically, I did go numb. I did go a little cold but it was because I didn't know how to process some of the frustrations I had. And instead it came out, it was sharp. So if, if I had a chance to go back in time and do it again, I would have sat down privately with the brothers and said, we need to talk about some things. And if we talk for three, four hours and we can't come to a, a solve that we're all comfortable with, then we know what the answer is. It's time to close this chapter. But giving them a chance to give some input and to bring a different perspective would have been the fair thing to do. Mm-hmm. Did you guys feel betrayed? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Joe, did you say so? I did. It took me a minute. My initial reaction was shock. We were planning on going on tour the next day. Our band had flown. So we were like already teed up. There was obviously no real right time to have this conversation. But for me, I was all in on Jonas Brothers. That was my life. And said no to a lot of other opportunity, maybe a film here some music there but at that point i just couldn't believe it and i remember it's it's interesting you said that because i actually remember now for the first time in a while because you kind of block out that day yeah (laughs) i kind of cringe when i think about it but you second guessing afterwards like you just said Mm -hmm. did i just make the right decision and then you were kind of stopping and at that point i was like no you said it (laughs) yeah that's right i forgot about that don't try to backtrack because you said it now so like there's no going back. And then we kind of were trying to have this then conversation. Then we won't do this and we won't break up. Then we're having this conversation. Well, maybe what we maybe we should just go do like one last hurrah. And I was like, I can't get on stage and see those fans' faces, emotional, holding signs, please don't break up. When I'm also 
dealing with it myself. I won't be able to get through a song without crying or getting emotional. Once I was separated from the situation, it was the right thing. And that built our relationship better. We became friends and it wasn't just work colleagues. And then I was able to go on and create music on my own and have this incredible band take off. And that wouldn't have happened, obviously, if he didn't break up the band. And the band wouldn't be back together also if Nick didn't come back to the door and knock on it and say, guys, what do you think if we get get back on the horses and do this again? So both times, it's been... It's my fault. Both it's, times. it's really Nick. <laughs> yeah, to answer your question, obviously, yeah, we felt betrayed and it was shocking. Because also, at that time, Nick was kind of calling the shots on a lot of stuff too. Creatively, for touring for big band decisions. And that was kind of the main thing we said doing this again. It was like anything we do, all three of us have to say yes. It has to be a conversation. As simple as are we wearing these t-shirts on stage today? Like let's all make sure we're comfortable because it really affects a, a unity in this. Mm-hmm. Are you gun shy going in? Because this has happened once. Yeah. We're all in. This is definitely, there is different dynamics to get used to though. We're in very different places than we were. Nick? There's different rules in yeah. place. In the sense that Joe's still going to make music with DNC and have the freedom to do whatever he wants, and, and I'll have the freedom to do what I want creatively, off on the side. And the Jonas Brothers is a part of who we are, but it's not everything. That goes from our creative lives, but also our personal lives. We didn't understand that distinction before. We have families now, and we all have moments where we have to say, all right, cool, I'm not doing this thing. We're not going to do this because I have to go to be at my daughter's birthday. That's important. These moments are important. Mm-hmm. We would have railroaded. I mean, we would have just blasted through it and said, no, you got to do this for the band, just for the greater good. And that's because we live with that fear. It was all going to go away. But now we have yeah. better guidelines of, of how to live functional lives. Right. Kevin? I had the fear and I brought that baggage into it like last week. You know, they're still getting used to this, which was like, everybody got sick at home. There was a birthday party supposed to happen, but they got sick on her birthday. So mm-hmm. we have to move it. Well, we have something scheduled. I'm going to be there if you tell me I need to be there. Go ahead, Joe. More than anything, we talked, you know, I think when we were coming around to the idea of doing this again, Nick, I think, just met Priyanka for the first time and I was newly engaged. Obviously, Kevin has two kids and we were, looked at Kevin and said, look, this was a thing in the past where Nick and I were single and Kevin was married to Danny and we were on the road and we didn't always prioritize personal time. We're working from five in the morning to midnight and then we fly to the next city. We get it now. And that was a conversation I think we had in Australia. We're like, we understand finally where you're at because that date night or just wanting to be with your person is very yeah, important. Like you have one <laughs> night, one day off and you're going to take two red eyes just to see that person for eight hours. You, you know, why are you so stupid was how I felt, right? but I was going to do it anyway. But now this guy doing the same things, you know? Joe, you wanted to say something. Got a question for you. Yeah. Some advice I would love. And I think it probably could speak for all of us. Yeah. But as I think about the Jonas Brothers days and things that really affected us as we are about to walk back into this again, I think individually we've been able to grow and learn on our own, but together there's always these triggering things that come up even in interviews or photo shoots whatever it may be and the biggest one I think about is to paint a picture for you I remember sitting in the VMAs years ago 
And Russell Brand is the host. And his main joke is the Jonas Brothers. Whether if it's, at the time we had purity rings, whether if it's a purity ring thing, or if it's selling sex, or whatever the joke was, really getting to us. And we were torn up about comments and and critics, and it would eventually start to affect our creativity. And now that we've made this album that we're really proud of, a bit of my worry, but my question for you would be, how do we prepare ourselves or handle those type things when they come our way together, since we're doing this again? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a great question, and I have to give you a little bit of a long answer. Please. Because there are at least four personalities here. Each of you have an individual personality, and then there's the collective personality of the Jonas Brothers. That's the fourth personality. And that is a distinct personality. There's right. one, two, three, and then the fourth collective personality. The thing is, you're going into this knowing, absolutely knowing, that there are going to be critics. I don't care who you are or what you do. Somebody is going to have a problem with what you do, no matter what you do, right? It doesn't matter. You can do A, and somebody's going to have a problem with it. You can do B, somebody's going to have a problem with it. You can do C through Z. Somebody's going to have a problem with each way. You can't please all the people all the time. My attitude has always been since somebody's going to have a problem no matter what you do, you might as well do what you want to do because somebody's going to have a problem with what you do no matter what it is, so you might as well be doing what you want to do. And it boils down to this. You cannot, and this is a conscious decision that each one of you has to make in your own way, is you cannot give your power away to strangers. You can't give your power away to people you know. If I let somebody else decide how I feel about myself today, it's like walking around outside knowing lightning's going to strike. You just don't know when it is. Think about that. You're outside and you know you're going to get hit by lightning. You just don't know when, but you know for sure it's coming. <laughs> right. It's not a question if it's coming. You know it's coming. You just don't, don't know, know when. when. Hmm. And you spend the rest of your life walking around wondering, is it going to be now? Is it going to be tomorrow? <laughs> is it going to be when I'm holding my baby? But it's going to hit. You can't give your power away. If you do, you've lost all control. I made a decision a long time ago that I am not going to be somebody that needs to be loved by strangers. I'm not going to be somebody that measures my self-worth or my self-esteem by someone else deciding what my worth or value is for two reasons. Number one, they can kiss my <laughs> Number two, they don't know me. Right. They don't know who I really am. They know the image. They know what's on television. They know what's in the newspapers, the tabloids, this or that. They don't know my heart. They don't know who I am. They don't know what right. went into what I'm doing. And if somebody wants to have a vote that I will consider seriously, then do the homework and show me you know who I am, know that you've really studied, right. and then give me an informed opinion and I'll weigh it carefully. So if you take that attitude, 
it's not being belligerent. It's just being very firm in not giving your power away to somebody. And in order to do that, you have to know for sure who you are (laughs) and what you stand for. It's that old saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. If you don't stand for who you are and what you are and what your music is and what your values are and what you represent, then you'll fall for anything somebody says to you because you don't know what to compare it to. You don't know who you are. And even in the time that's lapsed since the Jonas Brothers' last performance was when? When was the last performance? 2012 or 13, can't remember. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so think that's been six or seven years. The proliferation of social media in the last six or seven years has been exponential. Right. Everybody's a critic. <laughs> Seriously, everybody has a phone yeah. and everybody's phone is a camera. Everybody has immediate access to a blog, a message board, a post on a platform. Everybody's going to have something to say and you can put a guitar down funny and it becomes a meme. You have no idea what happens. And if you don't know who you are, then that pulls you. It's like you're dead center. And if that's solid, things won't push you off dead center. If you're not solid, things will push you off dead center. So you guys have to decide who you are individually and who you are collectively, and then it bounces off unless you don't know. That means you got to know who you are in this band. You got to know who you are in the music landscape. You got to know who you are as a social force. You got to know who you are in every respect. And once you know that for sure, then it doesn't matter what somebody says because you already know the answer. You're not wondering who I'm going to be defined as, right. that data window's closed because you've already defined yourself. And it's like poking the bear. You know, they used to poke you and you'd right. react. And so they'd poke you some more. And I always tell people, people are going to get after you on social media. Just don't ever engage. Don't ever engage. You know, I go on Kimmel sometime and read mean tweets, you know, where they make up these funny right. tweets. You know, there'll be one like, I'd rather have Dr. Pepper operate on my d- than take advice from Dr. Phil. Uh, <laughs> it was one of my favorites. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> if you let that bother you, then it's going to really cause you to give your power away to haters. Yeah. There are going to be haters that are going to come and say, here come the has-beens, been there, done that, blah, blah, blah. There'll be people that are say that. I sometimes have people that comment on the show, Dr. Phil. People that comment on television shows are not representative of the American public. Who sits around and writes in message boards on a television show? They're not people that are at the mall doing commerce. They're not people that are at work doing this or that. They're somebody that's in their grandmother's basement and haven't seen the sun in four years. They have no life. How many times have you written into a television show? Uh, never. Never, yeah. I, can't I mean, think. seriously, right. you've got to have a lot of free time. That is not representative. If somebody's sitting down 
and their life is taking the inventory of the Jonas Brothers tour, that's not representative of your fan base. Your fan base is out working and buying tickets and coming and enjoying the music and celebrating the music. And if they don't like you, they're celebrating somebody else's music. Right. They don't have time to be haters. People that are haters are haters. They're going to find somebody somewhere to hate somehow. So you've got to decide who you are. If you don't know that, then you're going to be highly vulnerable. And right. that's true inside the band. You guys have to decide what your roles are inside the band, right? I mean, do you know that? Kevin, what's your take? I think we do. <laughs> I think that was part of the struggle before, which was, I don't know how best to say it, but we clashed on who was doing what in perspectives and who had the strengths and when to utilize those strengths. And so I think now it's, I think a lot of our issue for me, which was not being able to really just talk about the simplest thing. Yeah. And I have a problem with that. I'd rather do it this way, if you guys are cool with that, or I think I should take a lead on this. Just having a real conversation instead of feeling like, well, you're not better than me. <laughs> you can't be all equally talented in everything. No. One of you is going to be better at one thing, one is going to be better at another, one is going to be better at another. You just have to find what you're best at and do that. And lean in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, find what you're good at. You can at least be a good, bad example. Hell, everybody's good at something. <laughs> find <laughs> something you're good right. at. Yeah. <laughs> and do that. I mean, if one of you is better musician than the other, then do the music. If one of you is better at working the crowd, work the crowd. Find yeah. what your long suit is and embrace it. Joe? I think we missed that individually going out, performing, things like that. And when Nick said, I miss looking to the left and right, like I can't wait to sh share some vocals on stage. It's tiring every night, yeah. you know? I'm excited to go and play these old songs. And you have partners in crime where you can kind of just lean on each other. And we just fall back into the mold. Of, but I think it's the time off stage and things like that, that we're now excited to be able to lean on each other when for so long we didn't have that and we also now realize how much we appreciated it can you guys embrace the problems that you had before and by that i mean you said you didn't communicate really well before will you do it differently this time go ahead nick I think we have to i think we have grown so much individually and i think that an individual growth was apparent just in the times we spent casually whether it was over the holidays or whatever else before we decided to even do this again just seeing that there has been change. And so I think this time around, we've set in place some ground rules to ensure that it'll be a healthy experience, but we're also learning in real time. I mean, that was the thing. The other day we were shooting this video for some content, I think for the documentary or something else. And I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel like I was giving my best performance of the song and didn't feel that we'd rehearsed enough. And so I just said like, we gotta stop, you know, and I walked off the set and it took a second for us to look at each other and just say, okay, what happened there? How can we make sure that they don't feel left in the dark in moments where I don't feel comfortable? It's going to happen for each one of us. We learned in real time. And so I think taking some of that pressure off to have it all figured out just because we decided to do this again is not realistic. I have a suggestion. Would you like a suggestion? A hundred percent. Please. All of them. <laughs> Robin and I have done this in our partnership, which is a marriage. And this is kind of a marriage. We've been married 42 years, and in 42 years, we've never spoken the D word. We've never said divorce 
inside our house. We've never said separation inside our house. Doesn't mean we don't have disagreements from time to time. Our rule has always been we can disagree and we can say anything we want to say, but we agreed in the very beginning that the relationship will never be the stakes for which we are playing. And a lot of times people, they get in an argument and say, well, let's just get a divorce and leave. That's never the stakes for which we're playing. And because we've agreed to that and we've lived up to that, we know no matter what one of us says or does, we don't worry, is this the end? It's like being in a river with right. a branch hanging over the river. You can get in there and splash around, but it never splashes up to the relationship. It never gets that high because you never play for those stakes. And as long as you guys resolve going in, you've been there once before, but as long as you guys resolve, he can walk off, you can have a bad day and storm off the stage. Yeah. You can not show up someday because something happens or whatever. As long as you know, no matter what happens, he's permitted to have a bad day. He's permitted to go off and not want to talk to anybody. As long as you have the emotional integrity to say, no matter what happens, this commitment will not be the stakes for which we're playing. You can get mad, you can get pissed off, you can go storming off, but we don't ever have to worry if what we're playing for are the stakes, whether or not we're going to continue this or whether we're not. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And if you take that off the table, where you say, look, I'm either in or I'm not, and I have the emotional integrity to say, I'm not going to do this if I'm not all in. I've thought it through. I've felt about it. I know it. I have the freedom to do other things, but you're my brothers, and I'll do this till the cows come home. This time, I'm all in. We're all all in. I may do other things, but this will be part of my life as long as people will show up. And if you know that's the stakes, that you'll never play for those stakes, it's off the table. Yeah. yeah. Anxiety goes away. If you have the emotional integrity to make that commitment, then it's never an issue. You never have to think about it. You never have to talk about it. But you have to decide whether you have the integrity to make that commitment or not. It's good advice. I love it. It's great. Right. I like it. Joe, you look like you wanted to jump in on this. For me, I said, I'm not doing this if we're doing it like that again. There's no way. Yeah. And I think of dangling that over our heads for all of us, like, mm -hmm. I can just leave when I want. And now we don't need this. We're not doing this for big sellout tour. We're not doing this for the fame, whatever it may be. We're doing it because we want to and we miss it and we miss getting on stage and doing this again. And I couldn't see a world where I would do this and the carpet be ripped out again. I'd said right away when they brought the idea, I was like, I'm not walking back into that emotional roller coaster again. I can't go through that twice, especially after re like rebuilding the, our relationship. Right. I have to tell you, the shrink in me tells me there's a little part of you guys that does wait for that other shoe to drop. Like, do we really deserve this? A lot of people are that way because you're too normal to be so successful. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people that are as successful as you guys have been they were born on third base and think they hit a triple <laughs> and so they don't appreciate 
how hard it was to get there. And you guys know how easily yeah. it could have gone a different way. And so you know how fragile it can be. We had some be. strikes, that's for sure. That's right. But you know how fragile it can be. Right. And because of that, you go, wow, something could happen. Yeah, it could happen. And what could have happened did. Yeah. You can't keep talent down. You say, does luck play a factor? Yeah, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. The more talented you are, the luckier you get. There's been 81 talk shows launched since mine that didn't make it. Wow. It's lucky not, guy. It ain't lucky. <laughs> I mean, it's there's a lot of hard work, and I got the best team in television. Yeah, yeah. It ain't me. I surround myself with really good people. And you guys have got the best management in the world. You've got parents that believe in you. You've surrounded yourself with people that want you to succeed. Can't buy it. You got all of the things going in the right direction, but you got to have that unity from the inside out so you don't ever have to have that anxiety. I think that's absolutely critical. Do you feel the same, Nick? Yeah. What do you mean you think we're waiting for the shoe to drop? Well, you know, you were saying before this happened, you never expected to be where you wound up, right? I remember at one point you were in a hotel room, what, 20 floors up, and there's so many people down there, windows are shaking and stuff. You're looking <laughs> yeah. out the window saying, my God, what the hell? <laughs> Whoever expects that to happen? <laughs> You're from a family in a church in a very conservative, quiet life. The next thing you know, you're mega rock stars. And you think, if they got the right guys? I mean, are we? <laughs> uh, it's kind of like, is this going to all go away? You guys were not overnight successes at all. Yeah. I mean, you worked, you wrote songs, and you went to high schools, and you won people over once you got, you know who you were when you got there, but they knew who you were when you left. And then you got dropped by Columbia, you got picked up by Sony. You worked for this. You Damn. earned this. You weren't just standing on the right corner at the right time. <laughs> you guys yeah. worked for this. You're not here by accident, and you shouldn't apologize ever for your success, however big it gets. You earned being here. This was not a stroke of luck. From the very beginning, you've done this. There's always that part about if I get too relaxed and too happy, it's like something can happen. There's that human nature of not wanting to be too happy. Yeah. Because something will happen if you get too happy. You got to maintain vigilance. Part of that vigilance shouldn't be whether or not anything's ever going to happen to this trio. Yeah. You got to cross that off your list. Right. Kevin? I definitely think that's part of it for us was this time around celebrating the smallest things that come our way. Yeah. This is a very exciting year for us. And back then, we would be nominated for Grammys and we'd be like hanging our heads low. <laughs> and it's like, we should have thrown the biggest party in the world or yeah. sell out a, a, arenas. We'd play at the White House and be like, all right, to the next thing. And this time around, we're like, even the smallest wins, wins for us, we want to really enjoy them to the fullest. Well, that was my next question, actually, is when you're taking a second bite at the apple, what will you do different this time around that you didn't do the first time around? Nick, why don't you go first? I think take the pressure off a little bit and walk with some humility. 
not that we were cocky. I just think that I was told from a very young age that musically that I had a, a gift and started to believe that around 16, 17 years old. And then, you know, different points in my life just been humbled, you know, fallen on my face <laughs> and sort of figured out that perhaps, you know, we reached a level of success that our musical abilities didn't merit, you know, it was sort of like because of our fans and how amazing they were, they carried us. But it's easy to look at an arena full of people and start to believe that it's because you're musically talented. So this time around, I think it's walking with an ease, knowing that we can stay in our lane and do what we do, but we don't need to feel pressure to be the greatest musicians in the world. We can just be who we are and feel comfort in that and enjoy the ride thoroughly. I think we, yeah. we all genuinely enjoy being around each other and performing with them again will feel amazing. Already the creative process in the studio has been more rewarding than a couple years of writing stuff for my solo stuff that didn't really connect. I didn't release anything because I was waiting for that moment of magic, but we found it pretty quickly. So I feel like we are yeah. in the right place at the right time. Joe, what's your take? I think we also said, let's take some time off when we need it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we would burn ourselves out. Burn it to the ground. I think we had one missed show in like the Jonas Brothers history. <laughs> and we, there was times we played through being sick and that was just our mentality. We never said no or never said, you know what, I need a day. And that's what we're going to do this time as well. Mm -hmm. But I think more than anything for myself, I'm just going to have a blast. I'm like, let's just have fun. If we're doing this, it's because we want to enjoy ourselves and that's important and that will show on our faces. Kevin? And I also think it's exciting too because the inclusion of our partners in this as well. Yes, it's the three of us, but each one of us now, you know, with our wives, with our somebody kids. to share it with. Yeah, yeah is yeah. is amazing. This will be our 10-year anniversary. You know, nothing on 41, but I mean, still. 42. 42, sorry. Pretty good bite at the apple, though. Yeah, yeah. I hope that you will take time. I, I do this myself, and I say it to my boys. I remind them all the time to take a minute take a beat, take a breath, to just stop and look around and kind of take it all in. Yeah. Because it can go by in a blur. Yeah. And you got to stop sometimes and look around and right. say, wow, right. what a ride. Joe, do you agree? I think for all of us, we can actually say this, is that we never expected to do this again together. Yeah. yeah. And hopeful. I mean, I really never, thought. I, right? Would you agree? I mean, ish. I, I mean, I thought maybe. It's his fault, so. It's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> Both times. <laughs> anyway, so I felt like there's no way in hell I'm going to be doing this again. So I put it out of my thoughts. And then it starts to creep back in like, oh my God, I'm I'm going to be on that stage again, playing these right. old songs or looking to my left and right on stage with these guys, seeing familiar fans, new fans. Yeah. And that happiness creeps back in. And really, I want to enjoy every moment. You know, whether if it's after a song, take a beat and just soak it in. Or if it's like today, here we are sitting doing one of our first interviews back together. Even this excites us and enjoying that, not just letting yeah. time fly by. And then five years from now, we're going, I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Now, let me ask you this. You were the one that knocked on the door and said, let's do this again. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't as simple as that, I guess. It was sort of different conversations right. between me and Kevin, me and Phil, and then me and Joe. I sort of came at it from different angles. 
and eventually we all got together and I said it out outright that I want to do this again. I, I miss it. Well, y'all have seen this, but let me contrast this moment. As band members and brothers, this is where I'm at. It was, the band is over. I want to go do stuff without you guys. And I've made up my mind. And neither one of them were saying anything. I just remember looking at Joe and being like, wait, what do you, what? I felt betrayed. I felt lied to. I felt angry, numb. And Joe said, I have nothing to say to you. Joe has shut down. I'm looking at my brother just being destroyed inside. I was 25, 26. This was all I've known. This is what I loved more than anything. I loved doing this. And somebody that you loved and cared about so much could take it away from you so quickly. That was, um, that was heartbreaking. You get one taste of solo success can you forget all the work we put in together what hurt the most is that it came from nick because he is my best friend and i thought that me kevin and nick were going to do this forever and it was us against the world you know then joe finally broke down was like you want to be done Fine, we're done. It's a long way from there to sitting right here today. Yeah, yeah. So why are we here today? Why have we gone from there to here? <sighs> your fans want to know. Nick, what's your take on that? I mean, I think it's probably a lot of things and different for each one of us. I can speak for myself and just say that, you know, I spent five six years working on my own made the music i wanted to make put out the records i wanted to, to put out and had success in that and on the acting front i basically did all the things that i put on my whiteboard of things i want to accomplish on my own and after each one of those things that i checked off i felt unfulfilled in a sense and i was unhappy i got spent five or six years chasing the happiness that i once had here when we were working together and sort of became accustomed to looking back on that time and only thinking about the challenging moments, some of the hurt attached to the end and some of the things that made life as the Jonas Brothers difficult as a way of coping with the fact that I was feeling like it was going to be nearly impossible to feel that magic again. And that was because I, I had made a tough call. And I try not to live my life with regrets and try to uh, find a way to reason with everything. And I, I do believe even to this day that although it was painful, it was the right choice, the right mm -hmm. decision. But nothing in the world meant more to me than the affirmation and love I felt from Joe and Kevin both. But a moment with Joe specifically where he celebrated a victory of mine, which was a, my song on the radio with me was more magical than solo success was sharing that with him in that moment so maybe that's why we're here and maybe it's a willingness on their part to forgive and an ability for us to grow 
but I'm really excited and I'm glad that the door is back open. Well, here's what you said at the time. So me and Joe sit down. Nick says, as you guys know, like things haven't been the same and the Jonas Brothers should be no more. So do you trust this now? Can you make that commitment that I talked about earlier where we say the relationship, the commitment's not going to be the stakes for which we play. We can get mad, we can have arguments, we can walk off, but we'll do it knowing right. this is not the stakes for which we play. Never again will the Jonas Brothers be the stakes for which we play. Yeah. Yes. Joe? 100%. took a minute to get to that easy yes, but this last year... I was definitely the last one to say, let's do it. <laughs> Just because I kept thinking, like, if I go through that hurt again, the man I am today is probably going to take it just way worse. I can't be broken again after rebuilding everything. And after really talking through it, you say, you know what? This on all parts is ready and willing to go for it. I have a question for each one of you. What do you hope he doesn't do this time around and he doesn't do this time around that irritated the hell out of you the last time around? What do you? Uh, how what, long do we have? Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you hope Nick doesn't do this yeah. time that drove you crazy last time? Well, I would say kind of make the decisions. Right. Like call the shots without kind of all of us being inclusive. For those of you listening, that's Joe talking. Kind of internalize and not speak to us about what's going on in that head of his because he can kind of sometimes, he's better at it now, but like what happened the other day, something happens and we walked away and we're like, yo, talk to your bandmates, talk to your brothers. So I, I think that's what I don't want to happen. And Kevin, well, well, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. I think back in the past, we would probably, we did, definitely did, we would pick on him because we didn't understand what he was going through because he would hide things from us sometimes mm -hmm. and kind of go behind us and talk to somebody about, hey, I want to travel tonight to go see Danny tomorrow. And we're like, you need to be back tomorrow night. <laughs> so just kind of bringing us in the conversation so we can kind of work with him because obviously we understand more than ever where he's at in his life and his comforts and discomforts. And we want to be a team and communicate way better all around. Kevin, what do you hope these two don't do? It's funny because that time? would be the other side of it, right? Which was me. It's like being able to prioritize some of the things that are outside of that band, but that are part of my family, my life. And they've done that already, which is such a testament to where we are because having that conversation and it being not a fearful one, but just be like, guys, this is what I need. And they say, great, we'll figure something else out in this moment because I don't really want to go to that anyway. And that was the conversation. I was so scared of saying that I can't do this one thing. I need to get home for just a day. That it might disappoint us. That it would but... disappoint them. But the thing is, they were like, we didn't want to go anyway. <laughs> so it's like the overthinking. And so, yes, do that, you know, the, the, that I would disappoint them mm -hmm. without a real honest conversation. I think that's something that I would love to have not happen this time. Hey, we don't love this. Let's talk why we don't instead of just feeling like I'm not making anyone happy. Nick, how do you feel about that? What do you hope each of them don't do that they did last time? I think when you look at it from a bird's eye view, it all makes sense, you know, why the brothers ended. 
And it's not as simple as my heart was no longer in it and we had creative differences. My taking the reins was because I felt like they were lacking focus and a willingness to work hard and their priorities were elsewhere, which is a real thing. We've spoken about that. We're honest about it. So I hope this time that's not the case because if that happens, it might then give me the ability to step off and, you know, take my hands off the, the control button for a second, which I think I've done this time around. For sure. And a willingness from us, like the commitment level. Yeah. And jumping in. Yeah, and but I think just honesty like, too. And balance. You're like, uh, honesty is key. I, anything is fine. They could tell me anything in the world. Uh, as long as they tell me. I don't like being surprised by something or feeling like someone's being dishonest because we're having fun. This is great. We're having a great time, but this is real. Like, you know, the stakes are high and you're right. The stakes are not the relationship, but a lot of people have worked really hard. And, and when you're on tour, there's 120 people on the tour with you and it's, it's people's lives. It's their families. It's not healthy to live with that and carry that with you everywhere you go, but we are adults and we can carry some of that responsibility and know that it's going to require us putting our heads down and going to work and doing something really great. And I hope mm-hmm. we're ready for all that. Talk to me about the music this time. You've got an album. How do you feel about it? Go ahead, Joe. It's definitely our best music ever. Confidently, I can say that. The last few albums, we were losing that creativity. And like I said earlier, starting to listen to what people have to say about our music and trying to chase an award. or And also, we weren't letting anyone help. We would let our insecurity, which was... We don't believe anyone wants to work with us at this point in our career. And we changed that narrative into, we don't need anyone's help. You know, it's like so, so stupid. <laughs> and this time around, you know, Joe and I have had five or six years of working with some of the top writers in LA and New York and Sweden and soaking up all that, right? My solo stuff and with DNCE and, and for the first time, because a lot of people don't know this, the Jonas Brothers never had radio success. We had you know, albums that were on number one of the charts and great tours and amazing fans across the board, but we, we never really played on the radio. So we accomplished something on our own that we'd been dying to do for so long. For the listeners, that's Nick talking. So we brought all that into this and we'd created really unique voices. I think with DNCE, the fun-loving, free aspect of their music combined with some of the soulful elements that I was able to do on my own created this kind of instant thing for us as a unit that we would have never had had we not taken that time to go and explore on our own. Right. And I sat there as we're hearing these songs come in and the ease at which we're writing them. And I was thinking about the two years since my last solo album that I've been laboring over new music and feeling like I got something I was really excited about and two days later listen to it and go, it's not there yet. Doesn't have the magic, right? And we did that because we trusted in our partners and each other and we built something I think we're really proud of and that is so unique to who we are, which was really refreshing to see that, you know, sometimes it's just right. And this one was. So you said this is the first real interview back as the Jonas Brothers. How does it feel to be sitting here together? Kevin, why don't you go first? It feels really good, but there's also good. moments where you say something and you kind of look, look a little to your left, you're like... Are we on the same page right still? <laughs> it's a little bit of eggshells. I mean, it's just being real. Like, it, Yeah, there is. Go ahead, Nick. I feel like navigating the story of it all is something that will start to finesse as time goes on because right now it's in its most raw state, which is probably a good thing. But it's foreign to me to be in a spot where I'm looking over thinking about if what I'm saying aligns with the way they think. Joe? I think that's kind of the beauty of it as well. You know, something we hated back in the day 
was media training. Sitting down with somebody that doesn't know us and they tell us what we shouldn't or shouldn't say. For us now, it feels so good to be able to just kind of be like, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but I'm sitting with Dr. Phil and I'm going to talk about it because <laughs> I yeah. need the help or whatever. And that's, I think, kind of the beauty within it is that this time around, we're telling it everything. So there's really nothing that we're hiding from anyone. Yeah, We have a documentary that is full of tears and, and anger and it talk about out. the past. So there's really nothing that we have left to say. So it's out there yeah. to the world. So as much as it's foreign for us to talk about these things that we've never spoke about, it's kind of relieving in the same way. Is it fair to say that you've come back this time, every one of you more mature than you were before? <laughs> you've all come back stronger individually than you were before and you've all come back leaning into it more than you were before nick do you agree yeah i mean i I go back to this word but i feel an ease to it we were so paranoid the first time around that it was all going to go away and what we realized is that it didn't and every time that we thought we were going to be defined by our past we were able to grow in some way and push ourselves and so i think Knowing now that we're here, right? We're a part of the, f- the fabric of a lot of people's lives in some sense. And one of the things that I love about the Jonas Brothers, if I can take myself out of it for a second, is that it means something to people. And that's a really good feeling. It's not something that a hit song can accomplish or uh, a hit film. It's something that people that love and care about each other and represent something to people can bring to their lives. So I think this time around, there's an ease to it that I think helps us all. There's an emotional maturity which needed to happen for all of us as brothers first and then became a, you know, a factor in who we are as a group now and I think is reflected in the music itself. And above all that, there's a family here that just that really love each other. I mean, mm-hmm. without them, I don't know where I would be in my life. If I would be, it's because of them and their love and the life we've shared. Do you realize that there are millions of people out there that you have written the soundtrack for some of the most significant events in their entire lives. I mean, their romances, their marriages, their graduations, their defining summers, their coming of age, that you wrote the soundtrack of their lives and you're coming back to them? (laughs) Joe, how do you feel about that? It's the best kept secret for us. It's not that we just decided. We've also made an album and a documentary, and we couldn't believe. I mean, who knows? I haven't looked at my phone. Maybe it leaked already, but like we're so (laughs) close for this announcement. I think it makes me think of a story I saw online. An article was posted about this girl who, who met her best friend on a Jonas Brothers message board. And they continued to stay friends. They lived in different countries. They continued to stay friends. And that same girl was the maid of honor in the, the other fan's wedding. And the power of music, the power of the Jonas Brothers, of what we've been able to create, and like you said, the soundtrack to people's lives, you don't realize it until you see it happen in real time. And I cannot wait to get on stage at that first show I will be struggling emotionally through songs because I'm going to be so thrilled. But you look out there and I think there's a lot of fans who are, haven't given up hope. I see it on Twitter and Instagram every single day that say, please get back together. And then there's some fans, I think probably that I've just said, okay, like they're happier in their lives now. I'm happy for them. And some probably that moved on in their life. 
it's going to be really fun in real time to sit together. We said we're going to crack a cold beer and sit back and watch the Twitter feed roll through of just the reactions. Because for us, it's just as exciting for them. Yeah. And some of this is in the documentary where the crowds are massive. I mean, unbelievably massive. All of those people left those streets and stadiums and went back into their lives. They're waiting. We're ready to see him again. One of my best friends was Kid Craddock. Mm. In fact, I was talking to him the morning that he passed away in New Orleans. It was interesting because he and I had talked about you guys before I ever knew you. You know, he was the one in the documentary that was talking to President Obama about his daughters. And he had just talked to me about this insane phenomenon of the Jonas Brothers. And he talked about, this is just not something you see. This is just insane. All of those people are out there waiting. Now, you got to share this with me as best you can. Take me through the moment. It's your first stop on the tour. You guys are together again for the first time. The lights are down. The crowd is out there. You can hear them roaring. You can hear the buzz. You can feel the energy. You're seconds from those lights coming up and this starting. What are you feeling? I mean, I'm crying like a baby, that's for sure. Kevin, why don't you go first? (laughs) I I don't even know if I'm going to be able to function through the first song a little bit because my daughters don't know that, Kevin. Or dad. Right. They've never seen it. Hmm. So to have that moment happen. Or daddy's a rock star. That's going to be pretty cool. Is going to be incredible. But it's also the example I hope I get to set with them. That your brothers, your sister, as of right now, Aline and Valentina, your sisters, that is an unbreakable bond. You can go through everything but you never let it go that far. Let me show you what it looks like to come back together to be the strong thing that you should be. Yeah. And that's the person I want to be for them. And so, yeah, I'm going to be crying like a little baby, (laughs) but it's going to be great. (laughs) What will it mean to you to look over and see your brothers in that moment? Nick? I'm nervous from a technical standpoint. I mean, and that's oh, the problem God. with with all... Let me, let me finish my point. That's my truth. I'm nervous from a technical standpoint about the show itself already, which is just fundamentally a part of the way that I think. But I'm... I keep having this vision of a point in the show where something goes wrong. And I've, you know, had this isolation for so much of my life, I feel like at least. <laughs> and... Uh, I won't have that, you know. That's going to be a good feeling to uh, to have something go wrong and to have you know have that support both on stage and off stage. And it's going to be good. Got him to cry! Yay! <laughs> no tears yet. They're not coming out. <laughs> He's trying to hold. Not going to let it happen. Staying in right where they. <laughs> I know you've never made anyone cry, Doctor Phil, but good work. No. Yeah. And how about you? When you look and see your brothers next to you again and those lights are coming up. Go ahead, Joe. I think I probably 
going to ask beforehand that whatever that song is, we have we don't play it until we stop crying. We should take that moment in and let the emotion take over. I'm going to start that song so fast. No, but I, I, like I just like I, I'm roll a track. Whatever, <laughs> yeah, whatever song it is, just let the emotion play out for a second, because I think we should as brothers and as people take that in with our fans and then try to finish the song but then uh, we're gonna look at the fans and we look at our wives and it's, it's like, just game over yeah two hours later we'll start the first song yeah. but I, I think it's gonna be really special to have our significant others there our nieces Kevin's kids and mom and dad and mom too. and dad and all the people that have Frankie. been with us along the way our little brother Frankie Philly Mac and to say the unthinkable is happening and somebody said it you know the, there's so much more at risk with this band breaking up there's family and so for us the emotion of just getting back together with your bandmates is so different there's so much more riding on it that first song is going to be definitely filmed I hope <laughs> well I tell you you guys being as open and transparent I mean, just in this conversation, this first interview that we've had and letting people know where you are in your minds and your hearts and how much the fans mean to you and how excited you are to be back there and bringing this back to them, they are going to be so white hot. To be able to go and be there with such talented people that care so much about the music and so much about them, this is gonna be an absolute phenomenon. And I am gonna be in the front row. Yeah, <laughs> cannot wait. I guarantee you. Guys, thanks for doing Thank this. Thank you so you much for having us on. This is amazing. Right, I need that Dr. Pepper shirt. <laughs> yeah, we'll get that for you. Guys, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Clips in this podcast were from the Jonas Brothers' new documentary, Chasing Happiness, courtesy of Amazon Prime Video. If you would like to watch the video of this entire interview, please go to Dr. Phil's YouTube channel and subscribe. It's free, and you will find this interview and a whole lot more.